The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Alright, let's get back in here right now. Welcome into the TMPT feature episode number 26. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad and every single week I'm joined here by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And joining us today for this 26th installment of the feature interview is uh, somebody you may know from uh, the many things he does within the wrestling world. But today we'll be talking about another one of his books, The 100 Things WWE Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, as we welcome in the one and only Brian Alvarez, joining us today for feature episode 26. And this is one uh, very interesting uh, to add into the feature episode repertoire, as we've had on a lot of pundits throughout the, uh, the wrestling world, a lot of the wrestling journalists. Haven't had on Brian Alvarez. Definitely eager to hear what he's got to say about the current product. He's got a lot to say about that. Uh, but also to, eager to hear about his books because he's written he's written some that we're still talking about to this day. Uh, but, John, talk about 100 things WWE fans should know and do before they die. Yeah, good stuff. Great book from Mr. Brian Alvarez. There's so many different things in the book that he talks about. And he goes into detail about a lot of the major figures in the wrestling business as well, which you, ha- you know, have to hit those as well. So with that, there's also some things you should do, some things you should watch, some places you need to go, some places places you need to be. There's just a lot of great stuff in the book, and you really should go out of your way to read it if you're a true blue wrestling fan. Whether you're a WWE fan 
Or not. I mean, the WWE name is in there, but it's not just strictly WWE related. It's really if you're a wrestling fan. Love the book. Love talking to Brian. He's got so much different but interesting and unique opinions on wrestling. I feel like a lot of people agree with him, but then also there's another side where you see some people online, trolls, or maybe maybe just you know just hardened fans that are just against some of his ideas. And then there's some just purists that, that are kind of against some of the stuff that he talks about. But sometimes... You know, he really does make a, a lot of sense when talking about certain topics as far as ratings and going into different discussion points is there. And, of course, being a partner of a Dave Meltzer, they do have a lot, lot of inside information. They do have a lot of things that they cover. And that's you know, rumors, speculations, things like that. But then also numbers, the ratings in general. Um, pay-per-view buys so they're a great tool to listen to not only um, through their various podcasts but also if you check them out on figure four online as well there's a lot of great stuff in addition to the book they're they've been around for a long time they've established their credit throughout the uh, the fan bases old and new without a doubt um, a lot of people pop up now in the wrestling journalist side of things but Meltzer and uh, Alvarez together have been doing it for a long time, so they kind of fall into that, you know, old reliable and somebody that, you know, you want to listen to because they've got a good pulse on what's going on. But uh, definitely Alvarez as an author, you know, very, uh, very polarizing. Uh, talking about the death of WCW book. I mean, this book has been dissected. This book has been, you know, talked about uh, as part of panels at conventions, uh, numerous podcasts, and all these years later still being debated. So uh, whether or not people want to believe what's in the book, you got to say he's 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 damn good at what he does when he puts out a book because he gets people talking about it. And uh, maybe this becomes one of those uh, little side pieces that they bring with them on the road uh, when you're out there journeying around this wrestling world. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the name of the game, isn't it? When you write a book, you know, you may, uh, you know, to quote Bischoff, speaking of death of the WCW, but controversy creates cash and you got to get people talking to get people interested and get people buying the book and interested in the book. And they did do a ton of research for the death of WCW. I mean, obviously the book is, uh, I think it was 2006, it's about 14 years old now. They did a redo in 2015. Both books, highly, highly successful and popular. But also, you know, you always get the people like Bischoff and like Russo kind of ripping the book as well, saying that's not true and there's some inaccuracies. And Brian, you know, straight up, we ask him or you know, we ask him about it straight up in in the interview, and we say, you know, what is the deal with the book? You, you know, you have some detractors, some people ripping the book, and he 100% stands by the book that him and R.D. Reynolds wrote. And he said everything is accurate, uh, everything is true. They had a ton of interviews views in there ton of research involved ton of facts so he really stands by that book and i mentioned the nitro book the guy evans book that has come out and come to light which doesn't really debunk necessarily anything of death of wcw but you get a lot of people saying that they like the nitro book better and it has more facts well he says if you read both books and i highly suggest that everyone does if you haven't read death of wcw or the nitro book you should definitely go out of your way to read those after you read his 100 um, things you should do so 
basically he's saying compare both books you're going to get a lot of the same things and that they're not so different as people like to say they are they just had more interviews with some of the different people that were involved in wcw just some executives and, and things like that but he sticks to it he says that death wcw book is 100 percent accurate and uh he will he says will you know debate people that say otherwise you can't beat that. If you stand by what you write, then then you're you're doing your job as an author. So that's uh, that's pretty damn cool, and we appreciate him coming on for us with this feature episode. Uh, that's the beauty of these things is we give everybody the opportunity to come on and discuss what they've got going, uh, whether it is a book or it's an upcoming show. These feature episodes are key to the TMPT Empire because it's getting more uh, interviews out there, more people out there and getting interest in more wrestling related content. So enjoy this. Uh, but John, before I hand it over to you to wrap it up, actually, you know what, please wrap it up. But before you do just give us a quick key to the game and what to look for, uh, with Brian Alvarez here. I know you guys talked about a lot of cool stuff, but, uh, before you throw it over to the interview, share with us one, uh, essential key to the game here with this podcast. Yeah, I don't want to go too crazy into it because there's so much good stuff in this interview and, and get a lot of time with him, which was great. So much fun stuff as well. Not It's wrestling-related, but then it kind of breaks up a little some non-wrestling-related stuff. But really, I just was very interested in the Russo dynamic because obviously, you know, Russo's got castrated in the marks. He's always kind of ripping Brian. But he does say Brian is probably the funniest of the, of the writers and of the quote-unquote dirty guys and of the newsletter guys. And that he has the most, um, I guess, the most attitude, so to speak. He he's, has the most personality. He's the funniest. So he does kind of compliment him. But I was surprised that Brian's response to Russo is kind of uh, pretty positive and really didn't have anything negative to say. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, and if you listen to that in the interview, you may be surprised like I was. Maybe not, but you may mm-hmm. be surprised. So I, I just think that's cool. But, of course, if you haven't read Death of WCW, I highly suggest you go out of your way to read that book. Check him out, obviously, on a figure for weekly online. And what the interview is all about, of course, is Triumph Books, 100 Things WWE Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. You're really going to enjoy this one, Mr. Brian Alvarez. is an author, a podcaster, an editor, a publisher, a professional wrestler, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He has done it all. He is, of course, the man known as Brian Alvarez. Brian, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. How you doing? You know, and of course, uh, Figure Four Weekly, the Wrestling Observer, you know, some other stuff that I didn't mention, but you have so many jobs and so many things, it's uh, crazy you got so much going on. Too much, actually. And of course, today here to talk about your new book, Hundred Thing. Excuse me, 
100 Things WB Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Please tell us a little bit about this new book. Well, it is a look at 100 Things WB Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. So it's basically 100 chapters. And obviously every chapter is not super long, about three pages or so, depending on the entry. But I mean, basically the publishing company publishes a whole bunch of different 100 Things books. When they asked me to do it, they sent me a couple, and it's like 100 Things, a total jam, fans, people, people, they die, 100 Things, Seahawks fans, stuff like that. So they wanted to do one on wrestling, and they approached me about it, and I thought, it's 100 Things. And I think I could do this, I don't want to say easily, but it wouldn't be a complete disaster to try to take on this this task. And I thought that I could not only put it together and make it a fun read, but also kind of use it as a way to go back and learn more about WWE, since it was really the first promotion that I ever started watching when I was a little kid. I was watching WWF in the 80s. And so it gave me an opportunity to do a lot of research and try to put together a book that if you're a long-time fan, if you're a new fan, if you're a hardcore fan, if you're not a hardcore fan, I, I really tried to make it a book that would be accessible to everybody. And the book is going to be accessible to everybody, but, you know, for the most part, it seems that everybody enjoys it. So I was pretty happy. Yeah, got a lot of good stuff in there. Very, very cool. What's kind of been your experience, as you said, like kind of going back and doing some research? Because that could be some of the most fun things to do is kind of do that research and kind of relive some of those things. Well, I mean, it was fun because I remember when Lou Albano died. And when I was a kid watching wrestling, I mean, I only saw Captain Lou, like occasionally he would be out there doing, doing something, but I mean, you know, his his heyday was, was long gone. I mean, even the rock and wrestling connection, I was, I was probably starting, I started watching wrestling probably two or three years after that. So I, I missed all of that. And, you know, I knew Captain Lou, I knew about the rubber bands. I knew that he wrote a really terrible book about wrestling, but you know, when he died and Dave Meltzer did this big obituary on him. And then we had Paul Heyman on our radio show and he was talking all about Captain Lou and then, you know, there were all of these arguments that Captain Lou Albano needs to be in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And as a person who, who knew nothing about any of that, I was, I was fascinated. You know, I read the, the obituary that Dave wrote and, and listened to Heyman. And, you know, when it was over, it was kind of like, man, there's so much stuff about Captain Lou that I never knew. And he was really such a remarkably important figure in, in WWF, uh, WWF history. And so... I wanted people who read the book to kind of also have those same thoughts about, about things that maybe, you know, maybe they knew something about, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar. They, they knew about some of his WWF stuff, but maybe they weren't a longtime fan. And, you know, maybe they didn't know about his, his NCAA championships. And maybe they didn't know about some of the things that, you know, if you're a longtime fan, you know all about. So I wanted, I wanted people to learn something about everybody it was really hard trying to put together some of these bios in only three or four pages, but I really wanted it to be kind of a, a history book of, of WWE in addition to a, a look at things that you should do as a fan or, or know about. So that was kind of the way I looked at it as I was putting it together. And you also throw stuff in there like you should watch, 
Hitman Heart, Wrestling with Shadows, which is such a great documentary. Even I know some non-wrestling fans that have watched it were like captivated by it. like, wait, what the hell's going on? They're not supposed to do that. What? And we're getting a behind-the-scenes look. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing to throw in the book as well. Yeah, Wrestling with Shadows, I mean, it's – when it first came out, it was just groundbreaking. And now, I mean, if you watch it in 2020 – I mean, it seems just completely ridiculous. And so I wanted to tell the story for, you know, newer fans and also kind of a look back if you had seen it originally but had never seen it since, what it, what it feels like to watch it today. Just how completely different pro wrestling is today as compared to 1997. I mean, the way that people looked at the heavyweight title and the way that, that Brett looked at it and, and how – it was great concern that if, if the WWF champion showed up on Nitro, like it would just kill WWE business. Like they lost their champion. And I think people would hear something like that today and it would just be like completely ridiculous. Like the idea that, you know, the, the impact, like if Tessa Blanchard showed up on, on AEW TV tomorrow, I mean, not for one second would anyone think that like, oh my God, Impact Wrestling's going to go out of business because their world champion jumped to another promotion. I mean, it would just sort of be like, you know, something shocking that happened, but life goes on. Back then, I mean, there was there was real concern from from people that, wow, imagine if the WWF champion showed up on, on WCW Nitro. I mean, it would just like be such a a destructive thing for WWE. So it's a it's a really interesting documentary. It was very interesting to watch at the time, and it's it's even more interesting to watch today. So good, so well done, and definitely, like you said, groundbreaking for the time. A lot different watching it nowadays, but still great and. Still, kind of obviously, throw it out there. Work, shoot, the Montreal screw job, which is funny that it's still talked about by you know a lot of people. They throw it out there. Is it a work? Is it a shoot? I, I just always find that so fascinating. Like, is Bret Hart that damn good? We still don't really know for sure. You know, like what's what with this guy? He, I mean, I mean, Dave said it a lot too. I mean, he's such a good worker. You never truly know with Bret. Yeah, if you read the the article about the Montreal Screwjob or the chapter about it in the book, I mean, mm-hmm. I hope that people come away from it with an understanding that it was absolutely real. Yes. I mean, one of the things about it was, you know, there was this feeling that everything in wrestling is a work. And, you know, at the time, it was just about a year after the Brian Tillman, Kevin Sullivan thing where they tried to convince all of the wrestlers that it was real, but it wasn't. And so nobody trusted management. Nobody trusted anybody. And so when this happened, I mean, everybody first, they just automatically assumed that it had to be a work. And, you know, yet everybody arguing all of these different things and how this didn't make sense, that that didn't make sense. And it's very much like in the real world today, you know, these people that believe these conspiracy theories. I mean, conspiracy theories exist because something happened that doesn't make any sense. And it really bothers people that something could happen that is so senseless. And so they, they come up with these, these ideas to try to make sense of it. And it ends up with these really wild conspiracy theories that are, they're absolutely fake. They're absolutely false, but some people absolutely believe them. And so there was a generation that grew up that could absolutely not believe that something like this could really happen. And they convinced themselves that the whole thing was a work. And, of course, when you, when you really break everything down, I mean, everything from the Owen Hart lawsuit involving the, the actual real-life death of Owen Hart and, you know, testimony in that trial. I mean, there's absolutely no possible way that this whole thing was a work. 
But some people, even to this day, still cling to this idea. But if you actually look at all the evidence, and and you know, there were, Bret Hart had a wire backstage that, you know, the the conversation, parts of the conversation were in uh, wrestling with shadows. But there's a whole tape, and and people had access to the entire uh, the entire tape of that conversation backstage. It's, it's it's very very clear that the whole thing was real. But even in 2020, still people believe it. It had to be a work. Yeah, Scott Hall recently was, you know, putting it out there on Vice saying that it was still a work. So, I mean, people, yeah, you're right. People still definitely uh, do believe uh, for sure. Now, as far as some other things in the book, he said it, you got to attend a Raw, a SmackDown, uh, even the WWE Hall of Fame, which is a great ceremony, even a Cauliflower Alley Club banquet. So, I mean, you touch on a lot of different cool things in the book. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a WWE fan, I mean, it's it's it says WWE fans, what WWE fans should know and do before they die. But I mean, any, any fan, even if you're not a WWE fan, I think you'd enjoy the book. And one thing with, with WWE fans is, you know, if you grew up a WWE fan and you're one of the, say, 50 plus year old fans that, I mean, you watch Raw and SmackDown and you're the main audience and you don't like AEW, you don't like the idea of AEW, you don't watch Impact, you don't want to get New Japan World, you only want to watch WWE. I mean, you could be happy with that, but the reality is there's like a lot of really cool things out there. And one of them is the Cauliflower Alley Club. And, you know, they do work together with WWE to a degree. You'll see, you'll see the occasional WWE person at Cauliflower Alley. But, I mean, it's a, it's a great chance to meet older wrestlers and, and hang out with other wrestling fans. And there's all sorts of exhibits and there's speeches and there's awards and, it's just a, a really cool thing. Like there's a there's a great big world outside of WWE, and I think that you know there's a lot of things that some fans have closed their minds to, and I think if they open their minds a little bit, there's there's a lot about wrestling out there they they can really enjoy. Especially if Raw and SmackDown is you know the, the only thing you watch, but it's not really doing it for you at this point. What do you think about AEW right now? Because there's so many people online. You see, it's weird Twitter. You see so much. And social media in general, but you see so much like negative, but then you see the positive pullback. I think for the most part, if it is true that TNT was only expecting a certain amount of viewership and they've kind of doubled that viewership or at least um, beat it by a quarter or so, I would think that it's actually pretty successful and going well. And you see that the attendance maybe sometimes aren't great, but sometimes are good. You see the pay-per-view numbers are pretty good. What do you think about AEW so far, success or not? AEW is, is a gigantic right now and I know for whatever reason you know there's a subset of fans that really I don't know why they don't want AEW to succeed I don't know why they wouldn't want opportunities for wrestlers I, I don't know why they wouldn't want an alternative I don't know why they wouldn't want another promotion that would encourage WWE to to you know move NXT to Wednesday nights for two hours any, any WWE fan that loves the Wednesday night NXT the two-hour USA Network show I mean, you need to thank AEW because that's why that show is on Wednesdays for two hours. That's the only reason it's on the USA Network is because AEW got to deal with TNT, and TNT put them on Wednesdays. That's why NXT is there. So, you know, in the entire history of Impact Wrestling from 2002 until today, the most pay-per-view buys that they ever did ever, whether they were on Spike or whatever network they were on, was 60,000 buys. They did it two times. AW has done three shows. Every single one of them has done over 100,000 buys. 
and two of those were before they even had television. They're doing eight, they're doing 900,000 viewers on TNT in prime time, which is, I mean, for a company that started in October, I mean, those are those are great numbers. The demos are great. I mean, it's 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 obviously a success. The the TV network is very happy with them. Their fans are happy with them. Their fans are spending money on the product. The the product it's it's you know it's doing well. So I I don't understand the pushback. I mean, I guess you're always going to have that. It's it's kind of like politics. I mean, fans for whatever reason are going to choose sides. And I've never really chosen sides. I know there are a lot of people on the internet that think that oh Brian's on AEW's payroll or uh, this and that. They they only hear the the negative things that I say. They they don't ever hear any of the positive stuff that I say about NXT and like the NXT UK pay-per-view on Sunday was phenomenal. I love that show. And I just love good pro wrestling. And one of the problems is, you know, Ron SmackDown don't always put on great pro wrestling. And so I'm going to tell you when I think it sucks. But there's, there's great pro wrestling all over the world. There's great pro wrestling under the WWE umbrella. I mean, the NXT UK show, like I said, was great. NXT Weekly TV, I, I watch the show every week. I love it. I love AEW. I love New Japan. I just want to see good pro wrestling. It is crazy to think that this is basically a startup or an upstart. I mean, obviously you got the you know the Jim Rosses and the Jerichos and Tony Schiavone, so you have experienced guys. But for the most part, this is a startup with a lot of young guys, and you know, obviously Tony Khan is kind of new thing. So it is. You're right. It is surprising to see such negativity when you could have an alternative or another opportunity for the wrestlers or more money or, or make WB step up their game. So it is weird. You get those fans, no matter what, they're very negative about everything they've seen with AEW, although they had a lot of bright spots. I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I, I see it every day, but, you know, we, we have our radio show and I, I never really have anybody call in. I, I would love to have somebody call in and just explain to me, like, why do you want this to fail? I mean, if you're a WWE fan and and you don't like the AEW style of wrestling, I mean, that's fine. You don't have to like it. It's different from WWE. You, you, you just don't have to watch it. I don't, I don't understand why, if you don't like the style of wrestling, like you want it to go out of business or fail or, or lose. I, I just I don't understand this mindset, and I've never really had anybody explain it to me. You know, it's, it's sort of, um, you know, I was reading this thing about how, they did this, I'm not going to talk politics here, but they've done this in politics where like they'll call people on the phone and they'll ask them their political views. Like, are you a, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? Whatever answer they get, they'll, they'll start asking them about specific issues. And these people, like they can't even answer the question. They don't understand the issues. They, they can't answer these questions. It's just like they're a Democrat or a Republican. And like, that's what they are. And so the other side is the enemy and whatever they do is wrong and they want them to fail. And I feel it's that same way with wrestling fans. And I don't know why. I, I still can't figure it out. But, like, the WWE fans that do not like AEW, they just want it to die. And I don't know why. It's crazy. I mean, uh, I don't know. You've you got to want them to succeed. you got to want New Japan to succeed and, and that kind of thing. Do you see New Japan teaming up with AEW? Jericho's pushing for it. It seems like the Bucks aren't. It seems like Omega is kind of, I guess, caught in, in the middle because he probably thought he was going to be a part of, of New Japan when they were in the U.S. Uh, back in MSG and all that kind of stuff. But 
Do you see them teaming up? Because it seems like they should. I mean, there's a million reasons that it would be beneficial to both sides, but right now there's nothing. And Jericho and Tanahashi had an idea to build up their match, and they they did the stipulation where if Tanahashi beat Jericho, he would get a shot at the title. And, I mean, the reason that they did that, I, I mentioned this on the show weeks ago, I mean, the reason they did that was because Tanahashi wasn't going to win. And so they came up with some storyline, which they didn't have to worry about paying off because Tanahashi wasn't going to win, but it got interest in the match, and it got people talking about the match, and it was a success because of that. But they're no closer to a deal now than they were a year ago. I mean, last January, we did a prediction show, and you know people were asking, are AEW and New Japan going to work together? And a year ago, I said, you know, these two companies are not close. And I would be surprised if it happened this year. And we are in the exact same position. I mean, Jericho is a very smart guy. He is, he's a very smart businessman. And he understands that it would be in the best interest of both companies to work together. But, you know, there are people in New Japan, not the wrestlers, it's management. And there's management in, in, in AEW. And they've, on both sides, they have bitter feelings. And, you know, the AW side is bitter about New Japan for one reason. The New Japan side is bitter about AW for another reason. And there's no, like, imminent need. It's not like either side is going to go out of business if they don't work together. They're both doing fine. So there's no real need for them to work together right now. And I, I don't see, I don't foresee a time, any time in the near future, that they're working together. But it is wrestling, so anything can happen. Very true. Anything can definitely happen in the business. Now, something that you said recently is I've been noticing is getting a little bit of flack and, and, you know, hold on here because I totally agree with you and I, and I might even get flack for it, but you said that Okada, uh, Kazuchika Okada is the goat greatest of all time, best wrestler. And I've been saying that he's been putting on the most consistent, best matches. Probably you could throw out Daniel Bryan's awesome. And he's been great. And, and uh, Misawa and Kawada and Kobashi, maybe even some of the greatest of all times, Flair and Steamboat. But Okada, if you really watch and you really observe what he's been doing, anybody you put him in the ring with, is going to be four star or five star match. I mean, it doesn't even matter what kind of star rating you put on. It's just been the best wrestler. Are you, seeing any negative pushback to you calling him the goat because I've seen oddly negative feedback and I, and I don't really like it or I don't really get it. Well, I, I think that part of it is that, you know, the negative feedback that I get is, is really from, it's the same subset of people. I mean, they, they grew up watching WWE and they didn't watch wrestling anywhere else in the world. And to them, like the greatest of all time is a Shawn Michaels, or if they grew up watching NWA, it's Ric Flair and, you know, Ric Flair is one of the five greatest wrestlers of all time. He may even be number two. And Shawn Michaels is, I grew up, he was my favorite wrestler. I mean, as far as a worker, I mean, he's, he, to me, is also one of the five greatest of all time. But I have never in my life, and I've watched a lot of wrestling, I haven't watched everything, granted, but I've watched a lot, I have never seen anybody that was as good in the ring as Okada. And it's not like, I love Ric Flair with every ounce of my being, but, you know, the, the criticisms levied at him by a Bret Hart that every match is the same, which is ironic because Bret Hart, a lot of his matches were also the same. But, and, I, and Bret Hart was also one of my favorite workers of all time. But, you know, Flair did the same match most of the time. And Shawn Michaels, 
had a had a specific way of working. Bret Hart, all of these guys. Okada has the ability to not only have the greatest matches that I've ever seen anybody have, but he does everyone else's match. He never just goes in there and does his own match. If he goes in there with a Minoru Suzuki, he does Minoru Suzuki's match. If he goes in there with uh, Kenny Omega, he's doing Kenny Omega's match. Goes in there with Tanahashi, he's doing Tanahashi's match. He can work everybody's style and have an incredible match with every single one of them. He's, he's 30 years old, I believe, might be 31. You know, he's got years and years ahead of him. His, his body is not falling apart. Like, he's one of the only main event guys there who is not a physical wreck. He works a, a smart and safe style, but it's very athletic. I mean, he's just, he's the greatest. Now, if you want to say that, like, as a total package, you put in the interviews, you put in everything. If you want to say, well, if you add in interviews and, and that sort of thing, then Ric Flair's the greatest of all that, that's fine. But, like, in the ring, bell to bell, Okada's the greatest of all time. That's it. Yeah, I didn't kind of get people like, oh, who are you going to knock off the Mount Rushmore? The Rock, Steve Austin, Flair, Hogan? And I was thinking, like, no, in ring. Just talking about not, you know, encompassing everything wrestling, but in ring, he's definitely the best. And if you look at his series of matches with Tanahashi, I mean, just you could compare them to Flair Steamboat. You put his matches with Omega, you compare them to Flair Steamboat. I mean, you can kind of make any comparison to some of the greatest matches of all time, and he is the common denominator. So good. And I always thought it was funny when people were saying, oh, Omega is the best in the world. It's like, hello, <laughs> he was actually working with the best in the world he, he's great well, granted but he's not as good as okada in my my opinion i don't think anybody is he's the greatest and what he did uh january 4th and january 5th i mean just did two hellacious 40 minute great matches in a row is quite a feat with two completely different wrestlers yep two nights back to back and two totally different matches uh naito and Abushi, which is com- like completely, completely, totally different. And he could really wrestle Minoru Suzuki and have his best match. And ha- all these guys basically have all their best matches. It's crazy. He's awesome. Now, as far as you and, and Dave Meltzer, obviously, Figure Four Weekly, Wrestling Observer, you guys got the website, you guys do the shows. How did you meet Dave? Well, uh, very, very, very long story short, I had a 900 line in the 90s, and it went out of business, and Dave had a 900 line, <clears throat> and so I didn't read the Observer, so I sent him a fax, and I said, you've got an opening on the 900 line, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was Scott Hudson leaving to go to World Championship Wrestling. And I said, you're losing option four. Uh, I'd love to do it. And he called me back and he said, let's do it. And so I started doing option four on the hotline. And in 1999, this internet radio station in New York started up called IATA. And Dave got hired to do the pro wrestling show on IATA. And he did the first show. It was like, I think it was three hours. Might have been two hours, but it was a long show. And he did the entire show all by himself. And when it was over, he said, oh, my God, that was so hard. I need someone to bounce ideas off of. And so he called me and asked me if I wanted to co-host. And at the time, I was teaching gymnastics. And so I could only do, like, the first half hour of the show. But I started doing the first half hour of Observer Live. And next thing you know, I'm doing the whole show with Dave. 
And then when Yada shut down, we kept doing the show together on Sports Byline. Mm-hmm. And eventually he quit that, and I started my own website. And when I started in 2005, I said, Dave, you want to do the website with me? And we'd done a website together in 2000, and it was a complete disaster. And so he was gun-shy and was like, no, 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 no never doing a website again. I'm, I'm, it's just not going to work. It was a disaster. So I did mine. And we started the website, and it did great. And for three straight years, I would ask Dave, do you want to do the website with me? It's going great. There's, there's no problems. No, 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 no. And finally, in 2008, his workload was just getting crazy. And it was June of 2008. And he said, you know what? Let's do this. And so we merged the Observer and Figure Four online, and the rest is history. He's crazy just as far as, like, how much he works and how many hours he puts in. And we were talking about how many stuff you do, but I was talking to him a while back when we did an interview with him. He said he works, like, 100 hours a week or something like that. I was like, wait, what? 100 hours a week? Like, he just nonstop with some of the stuff. So it's great to have something with you that can pair up with him and kind of be the yin to his yang. Yeah, it's uh, pretty – Insane schedule that he keeps. So the man does not sleep. What's your relationship with you guys? You always seem like you're getting along, but you always not poke him. But if he says something, you know, silly or something like you, you know, you're, you could be very sarcastic and funny back to him. Yeah, it's just we've been doing it since 1999. So, you know, he he'll say things that he knows will get a rise out of me, and I'll I'll play back, and it's just. That's the way the show is going to be. It's been like that forever, and people seem to like it. So, you know, it's not like we could change if we wanted to, but, you know, that's that's the way it goes. And, of course, I wanted to ask you, because this is actually the second book, The 100 Things WB Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's actually the second book, really. The first book was the critically acclaimed Death of WCW, very popular book, Wrestling Observer's Book of the Year in 2005, and then again in 2014 when you guys kind of re-edited or, or kind of added stuff to it and, and re-released it. What is kind of the overall thoughts on that book? Because for some reason lately after that Nitro book got released, you're hearing kind of for the first time and probably ever – like negatives about the book. Have you heard any of that? Like it's almost uh, the opposite of the one that originally came out. Well, the, the negatives that I've heard are from people like Eric Bischoff, who I could, I would bet you like not my firstborn child, but I mean, there's no way he's read the book. And <laughs> I would, I would bet you anything. I would bet you anything that Eric Bischoff has not read either one of those books because if you actually talk to people who have read that book and my book, every single one of them who has actually read both of the books will tell you that they both tell the exact same story. Bischoff claims that the Nitro book tells the real story, and my book is totally wrong. But again, he hasn't read the books. So like I said, if you find people that have read both books, you can get them on this show. You can get them on any show you want and ask them if they've read both books. What are the differences between these two books? Which book is correct and which book is incorrect? And they will tell you they both tell the exact same story. They're just written in different ways. I write the book in my voice and RD's voice, and Guy Evans writes the book in his voice. But they're the same book. They tell the same story. What do you think about some of the interviews that he got? It just 
just random because it seemed like that's one of the things that I guess Bischoff was mentioned that you know he's interviewing uh, the Jamie Kellners of the world and, and and you know what I mean like he he got just these random interviews from some rare WCW guys. Do you ever put any kind of credence or credit into some of that stuff, or is that basically saying the same things you were saying without interviewing those guys? Well, yeah, I mean, if you listen, if you read Death of WCW, I mean, there is a lot of stuff in that book that comes from Eric. And it wasn't necessarily that I, that I interviewed Eric Bischoff, but, you know, that book, there's so much stuff in there that comes out of The Observer and Figure Four. And Eric Bischoff was talking to Dave every single week. So the idea that, that this book is inaccurate, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, there's so much stuff in there. And not, not to mention that, but, like, there's stuff in there that we got straight out of Eric Bischoff's own book, like stories that he told in his own book are in our book. And, you know, we did interview tons of guys from WCW. you got to remember that, like, when the book first came out, it was 2005, mm-hmm. which means we wrote the book in 2004. And this was three years after WCW died. And three years after WCW died, there was nobody who was talking on the record about WCW because they were all trying to get jobs in WWE or in Impact Wrestling or wherever. So everything that we had in that book, I mean, there was nobody that was going to go on the record. If you read the, the newer version of the book, we have way more people that went on the record the second time around. And, you know, the book itself, I mean, it was all from the figure fours from the era. I wrote, I wrote from 1995 to 2001, I wrote like 300, 300 newsletters covering Nitro and Thunder and everything that was going on in those promotions every single week. That's 300 newsletters about that. Dave wrote 300 observers about that. I mean, everything was in those, those observers and figure fours. And then, you know, there were all the people that I interviewed on figure four weekly. I mean, the idea that I didn't talk to anybody, I mean, we did the, the second book in 2014. So in 2014, I've been doing the radio show for nine years on the website. And if you go into the archives, we interviewed all sorts of different people from WCW. So, I mean, all of the biggest names, everybody. So the idea that, like, we didn't talk to anybody for that book or, or we made it all up or whatever, I mean, it's, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, that book, that book is a better – that book – how can I put it? Like, the sources for that book are better than any other book that you're going to find about WCW. And, you know, that's no disrespect to the Guy Evans book, but, I mean, that, that book in 2014, there was 19 years worth of talking to everybody to put that book together. It is kind of weird. You know, he, obviously you said he was talking to Dave and you guys are doing all this stuff. Kind of weird. What happened between now and then that uh, he kind of turned on Dave, or so to speak, or he's not really agreeing with uh, too much of what Dave has to say anymore? Well, you got to remember that, like, during that period that he was talking to Dave every week, I mean, the period that Eric Bischoff was in charge of, of WCW, I mean, they were winning. So he was, he was the king of wrestling at the time. And the reality is that, as it turns out, you know, that place sunk and went out of business. And when you're telling the story of why WCW sank and went out of business, I mean, you have to tell the story of every single mistake that Eric Bischoff made and everybody else there. And, you know, that's his legacy. So, of course, nowadays he's going to say that, oh, Dave doesn't know anything. He's wrong about this. He's wrong about that. None of this was my fault. It's all AOL time order. Like, everybody involved in the demise, they all have an excuse. 
which of course in their world has nothing to do with them. It's all somebody else's fault. You know, that's, that's the end of the story. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that when they're winning, they talk to you and everything like that. And then when they're losing and you have to talk about how they're losing, then they have to turn on you. This person doesn't know what they're talking about. They have no sources, blah, 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 blah. That's just the way things go. Crazy. And, you know, with the death of WCW, obviously a guy that uh, you know quite well, Vince Russo as well. Is there real heat between you and Russo? Because it's, it's, you know, it, there's some negativity obviously out there. But for whatever reason, he always says that you are the most, uh, I guess, personable or the most likable of all the quote-unquote dirty guys or all the guys that are writing the newsletters. So he says that like, you are the, like, the funniest one, I guess. So is there real heat there or there's nothing really – there's no relationship at all? I mean, I mean, I've said this a thousand times. Like Vince Russo went on uh, Artie Reynolds' podcast, and Artie Reynolds is the co-author of Death of WCW. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. And they did the podcast together, and the agreement was we ain't going to talk about wrestling. And they did a whole podcast not talking about wrestling, and they got along great. Like I, I wish zero ill will on Vince Russo. I hope that Vince Russo has a lives a happy life, enjoys his time with his family. I just do not at all agree with his ideas about pro wrestling. And I don't want to see him behind a pro wrestling company. I don't want to see him working and, like, doing storylines or anything for, for WWE or whatever. But, you know, I, I don't want his podcast to die. I don't want his Patreon to go out. Of, nothing like that. Like, you know, I, I, I harbor no ill will personally towards anybody in wrestling. I, I get mad about things. Like, you know, I'll, I'll get upset about – Miz is another example. Like, I, I hate watching Miz matches. I think he's terrible. But, like, the guy himself, like, I watch Miz and Mrs. and perfectly nice guy. Like, if he lived next door to me, I'd invite him over to watch pay-per-views. I'd buy him dinner. I'd get pizza, whatever. I'd love to hang out with the guy, but I do not like watching him wrestle. They're two totally different things. There's the business, and there's real life. And, and from a business sense, I, I think that Vince Russo did a terrible job with World Championship Wrestling. I think he's told a lot of stories that I don't think are true. But, like, as a person, I wish him no ill will. That goes for everybody. Now, with you, you like you said, you got, you're so busy. You do so much stuff. One of the things that really stood out to me with you was not wrestling-related. was actually jiu-jitsu related. Uh, I did several years of training. So to know that you're, you're a black belt and, and training guys and things like that, pretty impressive. Is that something that was like always a goal of yours to to do that, to become a black belt? Because that takes years and years of training and discipline that I don't even think people realize because when you do jujitsu, it's, it's a lot physical, but there's so much mental involved too. I mean, it's really a chess match involved in a fight involved in a battle. I mean, there's so much going on in, in jujitsu. Well, I mean, I always loved, I mean, when I was growing up, one of my favorite wrestlers was Bret Hart. He was a, a technical wrestler. And I always loved the technical wrestling, but, you know, I did a little bit of wrestling in, in junior high, but, you know, by, by the ninth grade, I was already doing backyard wrestling. So, you know, I didn't do any sports in high school. I was just, I was doing nothing but wrestling and I was doing gymnastics and teaching gymnastics. And so in about 2005, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was still wrestling, but, you know, I had a, a match with Vinny and I think 2004, and it just absolutely sucked. And, 
you know, I was, I was kind of getting sick of doing pro wrestling and, and I was kind of getting ready to just be done with it, like in the ring. And so I found a jiu-jitsu school that was near the apartment that I had at the time. And I went and I did a class and it was grappling and I always loved grappling. And so I was like, I like this. This is a lot of fun. And, you know, once I got started, yeah, I never, like never for one second did I think, well, I'm going to do this for a couple of years and then I'm going to quit. I mean, once I started doing it, it was like, I want to do this for my whole life. I want to be, I want to be 95, like, like Elio Gracie and still on the mats. And so I just, I did it like virtually no breaks along with everything else I was doing. I think I had one short break when I got LASIK in 2006 and I had one short break when I broke my orbital bone in 2008. And other than that, I have never had a break every single week. I'm sure there's been a week off here or there for vacations or whatever, but like every single week nonstop since then, I have done jujitsu. And I got my black belt in 2015, if I recall correctly. Yeah, 2015. And uh, I teach classes, I run school, and I do all that, plus everything I do with the website. I just love jujitsu. And you are just keeping crazy busy. Do you have a favorite submission? Because that's one thing I noticed from, like, training stuff. Guys continually, even though the professor would say, okay, let's switch it up and stay away from that. There are always guys who would go back to the same one. Like, I love just – I would always go back to the Americana. Give up position, go to side control, try to get the Americana. I mean, you always see guys going back. Do you have a favorite submission you always kind of rely on or go to? I mean, I would say that 95% – of the submissions that I get are either a choke or an arm bar. And that's pretty much it. I mean, if it's no gi, it's 99% choke. If it's gi, it's 95% choke or arm bar. That's it. I don't do anything. I don't do anything fancy. It's all really old school, basic jujitsu. Now, as we hit the wind down button, head towards the finish line, I got to ask this, and I got to preface it as our DDP question. Even though he told us, this is a few years ago when we interviewed him, he said this is the Brian Alvarez question. So where do you see Brian Alvarez, figure four, everything? Where do you see five years? Maybe more write books? Like, where do you see yourself? In five years? Yep. I would say in five years. I mean, if I if I really look at it, I mean, I've already been doing the website for 15 years, and, you know, there have been changes here and changes there, but essentially it's like we're doing the same thing we were doing 15 years ago, and all I can hope is in five years we'll be doing the same thing. I want to – I love I love doing the audio shows. I mean, five years from now, I hope I'm still doing two audio shows a day. I hope there's a strong WWE. I hope there's a strong New Japan. I hope there's a strong AEW. I hope there's a strong impact and the promotions in Mexico and Japan. I hope all of these promotions are stronger than they are now. I hope there's more wrestlers. I hope there's more people in wrestling making good money. And uh, I'm just hoping that everybody else has great success because this job is no fun when everything sucks. I mean, I know people like to listen to me ranting about this or ranting about that. and They think it's funny, and I'm sure it is, but, you know, I'm the guy that, you know, I'm not, I'm not playing a, a character here. I mean, it's just, when I get mad, I got a mic, I'm just going to get mad. And when I like something, I'm just going to be in front of that mic and tell you what I like. And I know everybody likes 
the rants more than the, the positive stuff, but it, it's hard having to watch terrible stuff. It sucks. You know, it's, it's enjoyable for you guys, but it's not enjoyable for me. And I wish there was more good stuff and success in wrestling because it makes this job a lot more enjoyable. So that's where I hope everything is in five years. You think the ratings are still going to be headed downwards, you know, in that period of time, or you think maybe we're going to see some sort of resurgence of the ratings and getting, getting some of those casuals and getting the wrestling fans back? I mean, it's, it's impossible to say. I mean, TV's changing. I mean, my gut feeling is ratings will be lower than ever in five years, but you know, maybe, maybe even though ratings are lower than ever, maybe there's a lot of other ways that people are watching wrestling, or maybe they're going to shows more, or maybe more companies are having more success streaming their TV shows, like, uh, you know, NWA Power. You know, they're all on YouTube. And right now, they need TV to go to the next level, but maybe in five years they won't. I mean, maybe, maybe the streaming platforms will all be such that, you know, you've got Sling TV and on Sling TV, one of the channels is YouTube, and there's all the stuff that you love from wrestling. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, but, you know, I – I just hope that the technological changes that are coming are for the better for everybody. Of course, got to mention 100 things WB fans should know and do before they die by triumph books forward, even by Lance storm. Please give us one last good sell for the book. Why people should go out there and get it. It is a great book, but give us one final sell on it. Well, I mean, I really enjoyed putting it together and it was a, I know this sounds strange because I'm going to watch Raw in a couple of hours and I'm probably going to be really mad about something on it and (laughs) scream about it tonight on the show, but the book was a labor of love. I've been a WWE fan for my whole life and I put it together. I wanted it to be the, the best book that I could make. I dedicated it to Vince McMahon because at the end of the day, it's his company. And, you know, I doubt Vince is going to read the book, but, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad about Vince McMahon. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of stuff about WWE that he should be very proud of. And I know that for a lot of his life, he didn't want to just be a wrestling promoter and he doesn't like to use the word wrestling and he wants it to be sports entertainment and he wants to be a media mogul. But it's not the worst thing to be the greatest pro wrestling promoter of all time. And I think that the book makes a case that, you know, he's the most – he is the greatest promoter of all time in pro wrestling anywhere in the world. He's the greatest. And there's a lot of great things that he did in WWE. And if you're a longtime fan, if you just started wrestling, I think if you, if you read the book, I mean, you are going to read about the ugly. You're going to read about Chris Benoit and all of the, you know, the steroid trials and the death of, you know, so many different guys, the Owen Hart death and crown jewel and, I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff, but there's also a lot of really, really good stuff. You know, there's a reason that some of these WWE fans get so mad about AEW. They're, they're so passionate about WWE. They love it. They love every last thing about it. And I think that this, this book, like I said, it's a labor of love. And if you're a fan, I think you'll enjoy it. All right. And please give us plugs, social media, website, everything you got. Please give us all your plugs. Well, at Brian Alvarez on Twitter is the easiest. I mean, everything I do, uh, that's my main social media deal. So, you know, all the stories that we write about, I retweet. All of the radio shows, I retweet. All of the free clips, I retweet. Um, There's a lot of free stuff out there that that I put out. And, 
Obviously, if you like it, I suggest you sign up to the website. It's $11.99 a month. And for that, you get every new observer. You get every new radio show. I know there's a lot of free podcasts out there, but the reality is in 2019, if you were a subscriber, we did, a, we did 1,100 podcasts in the year 2019. So if your favorite podcast does one show a week or two shows a week, I mean, at most, you're looking at about 100. We did 1,100. And every show we've ever done is in the archives. There's 12,000 audio shows in there. If you signed up today, you could listen to every single one of them, all 12,000. You will never get through all of them. It's impossible. But they're all there for you. And we do two to three new shows every single day. Today, I did two already, and I've got another one coming up tonight. So if you're a fan of our stuff, if you're a fan of wrestling, even mixed martial arts, I mean, WrestlingObserver.com, it's the best value you're going to find in pro wrestling. So check it out. And definitely check out your Twitter every Thursday afternoon for those win this day night oh four ratings, too. Yeah, that's going to be a hot topic. Read the comments on the AEW versus <laughs> exactly. NXT ratings. That, that's exactly. three hours of, of free entertainment. Oh, yeah, exactly. Of course, one more time, I'll say 100 things WWE fans should know and do before they die. Brian Alvarez, thank you so much for all the time you gave us today. And good luck with your uh, you know, the podcast, the jiu-jitsu, and everything else you've got going on, and, of course, the book. Yep, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.